Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. Let me pray for us before we sit down. Uh, so Lord, as we uh, open our hearts this morning, can we be able to receive every good gift that you have before us. Spirit of God, may you illuminate your words that your people have depended on for years now. May we receive every good thing and every good promise that you have before us. In Jesus' name, we all pray this together. Amen. And be seated. So today, as you probably identified with the scripture reading, we are starting a new series. One series is coming to a close. Another series is beginning and the beginning question i want to ask for this new series that starts today is simply this question how are you preparing for easter how are you getting ready for easter you know if you're a proud owner of a google calendar you're probably thinking to yourself it is 35 days before Easter is even happening. And if you don't even know what a Google Calendar is, you're probably saying, I haven't seen anything in Walmart that says Easter is coming yet. It's interesting how when it comes to different days and holidays, we all like to prepare in different ways, right? So like a couple months ago, I made a small comment, just small, very small. Uh, I said, there's some crazy people out there. They, they, they start to listen to Christmas music back in July. And uh, you would have thought that I told this congregation that they're shutting down HEBs across Texas. People were very upset at that statement, okay? People started listening to Christmas music very early. I know people who actually have countdowns that they put on their computer to celebrate birthdays. In my family, I don't know why this is a thing, but in my family, Valentine's Day is the most important day. My mom will actually go around to different houses, and she will take heart like glitter and she will throw it on people's doorsteps for valentine's day okay people do some crazy things preparing for days but when it comes to easter it seems like there's not very much preparation right like maybe we make sure we get some dry cleaning ready we're gonna wear something nice on easter day it's interesting that the celebration the collective celebration of jesus rising from the dead is one of the least prepared for days of the year. You know, Christians have thought historically that this time is very important to actually celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And historically, Jesus followers have actually been very intentional of preparing for the days of Easter. And one of the ways that they prepared for Easter has been going through a season of repentance. A way of opening yourself up to the reality that God has risen Jesus Christ and is now freeing people through that. Now, when I use the word repentance, I need to recognize in the room, this word may strike different people in different ways. If you grew up maybe in uh, this faith tradition of this church, when you heard the word repentance, you mainly heard it used when someone was converting or believing in Jesus for the first time. 
If you grew up in a different faith tradition, you may have heard the word repentance used all the time. It was almost this way of like calming down God anytime you did something wrong. And maybe if you didn't grow up in a faith tradition, when you hear the word repentance, you actually kind of get turned off by it. It's inflammatory. It feels manipulative. It feels like the people of God are just extremely concerned about everyone repenting or you're immediately going to go to hell. And I want to talk about maybe a different way of looking at this word. I want to talk about a way in which Christians have used this word that is more holistic, that's more dynamic when it happens. But maybe instead of just defining this word, I need to give you maybe an image, a story that helps you understand maybe a different way to look at repentance. So the story kind of goes like this. Uh, A couple years ago, uh, actually a couple Easter seasons ago, uh, my wife and I uh, went through a just really hard passing in our life. Uh, We had lost Care's dad to a battle in cancer. Uh, It happened for a lot of years. It was one of just those really hard passings that what was supposed to be just a couple of days actually led to a couple of weeks. And when uh, Care's dad passed away, it was uh, extremely hard to go back to normal life afterwards. If you've walked through grief before, it feels like you're walking in a bubble. Everyone else's life is normal, but yours has been completely turned upside down. And I remember when we came back to Abilene after going through his passing, and we tried to live life normally. And the whole time we're just walking around, our house is just cluttered because we've been away for weeks. Our plants are dead around the house. And I remember Care just could not let it go. She was like, we need to go to Lowe's. We need to go to Lowe's. And finally, I just remember being so fed up. I was like, will you just drop it on going to Lowe's? And I'll never forget, she looked me in the eyes and she said, no, 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 you don't get it. I don't want to go to Lowe's. I need to go to Lowe's. When all I'm reminded of is death around me, I need new plants to remind me that there's life still happening. After I realized how thick my skull was, we went to Lowe's. And we got so many, we got so many plants. I said, baby, you buy whatever plants you want. We were just, it was a garden center in our house. We're just putting plants everywhere with it. Can I suggest to you, Repentance is simply recognizing where there is death and planting new seeds of life where it needs to happen. That we need a season in life when there are things that are holding us down, that are weighing us down. We need a season in which we claim that is death and we need God to plant new life in our lives. This is simply what repentance looks like in our lives. It's admitting the ways of death that we are walking and turning towards God and working in God's way of life. Throughout history, Christians have said, it is good to take a season of life where you recognize, where you have become very complacent in your faith. 
Christians have said it is a very good thing to take a season of life of inventory and just recognize where you've drifted in your faith or where you've entangled yourself in habits or powers or situations that Jesus has already freed you from. And it's through simply a season of confession and repentance. Now, when people use the word confession and repentance, uh, sometimes I use them synonymously. Uh, but each of them actually have a function when it comes to a way of following Jesus. Confession is acknowledgement. Repentance is action. Okay? If I take the uh, plant analogy, confession is walking around the house and saying, there's some dead plants around this house. Repentance is saying, we're going to repot and put some new plants in this house. As a husband, confession is saying, hey, I missed the mark in being the presence of God that I needed to be as a husband for you. Repentance is saying, I will no longer be dismissive when you bring something up in the future that I need to recognize. And the goal of this series that we're trying to do is we're trying to walk the way of confession and repentance to open ourselves up to the good news of Easter. If you want to feel this Easter, that a weight has been lifted off to you, that sin has been defeated and conquered, it first starts with recognizing what weight you've tried to put back on your shoulders that Jesus has already taken off. It starts with repentance. Now, in this season, if you choose to join us in a season of repentance, we've got kind of three ways for you to engage this series. Okay? There is a daily, a weekly, and a monthly way of engaging in the season of repentance. Uh, the first one for daily is there is a handout when you walk out of service today that you are more than welcome to grab. It is basically, it's a turn table, okay? You see it, like it matches, like turn the theme. You see what I'm doing here? I'm working up here. All right, I'm trying to make it work. All right, there is a handout that you can get that actually each week has the prompt of a question we're covering in service of how do I think about repenting with God? And then with that handout, there's a small jar of ash. You can actually take that small jar of ash. And biblically, when people have talked about repentance, they've used ashes as a physical way of recognizing repentance. So you even see in the story of Jonah, it says that the people repented. They put on sackcloth and ash to show their repentance to God. There's a small little jar of ash that if you care to, each day when you think about the prompt, you can simply take a little bit of water with the ash and you can actually mark your palm in the direction of the arrow that matches the week of the series. Now, you can do this on your palm and the best part about ashes is as you slowly wash your hands throughout the day, the ash disappears to remind you that God is changing our ways. That's the first one. The second one is weekly. On Wednesday nights from 7.30 to 8.30, we are going to have different trusted members that are just available at the church for you to receive prayer. If you are processing through things that you're confessing or you're repenting on, we encourage you to come. It's come and go. There will be members there each week 
who are willing to just pray with you or hear what's going on in life. If you drop a student off on Wednesday nights, this is a great time to just stop by and receive prayer. If you are coming home from work, this is a great time to stop by and receive prayer. And then finally, the third is to read the book of Jonah alongside us this month. Each week, I'll tell you what part of the story of Jonah we're covering. Now, if you're still tracking with me, you're probably thinking, okay, Jonah was a pretty weird move. Why the book of Jonah leading up to Easter? And the reason the story of Jonah is because the story of Jonah is a story of a man who wrestles with repentance. Jonah wrestles with his own repentance, and he also wrestles with the repentance of other people. Jonah is a prophet of God. In the Old Testament, prophets would also be known as seers. They would be people who could see God's reality, see God's future, see the ways that God wants people to live, and then calls them out. But the ironic part of Jonah is that the guy who is the seer that's supposed to see what God is doing can't even see the own ways he needs to repent. And this is where Jonah's story just runs into our story, right? We are people who see what God is doing. We see how God is working. But we also can't see the ways that we need to turn to God. We can't see the ways we need to repent. And today as I open this series, I just want to give you four different suggestions, four obstacles, four reasons why I think that we may not see the practice of repentance in our lives. If I use that word today and you're like, I don't even know where to begin with what repentance looks like for my life. Buckle up. This is the sermon right here. The four different things. All right, I want to point this from the text this morning. Here's the first one. The first reason why we may not actually repent is because we only see the past. We only see the past. So when the story of Jonah first happens, Jonah is extremely ambiguous. When you get to the text, you just get this one sentence description of who Jonah is and where he's coming from. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And you're like, that's all I know about Jonah. He's the son of Amittai. And people who have studied this passage have actually been like, we don't know very much about Jonah, to be honest with you. The one thing people have locked in on, though, is this phrase right here. There's a lot of different theories about who Jonah was or where Jonah was coming from. But one of the things of the name of Jonah's father, the root word for Amittai is faithfulness. A lot of people have thought maybe Jonah comes from a line of faithful people. The second is actually that where else Jonah is referenced is actually in a book called 2 Kings. In 2 Kings, there's this phrase used over and over again. It's the sons of the prophets. In essence, there was this group of prophets who were being raised underneath the big names, like Elijah and Elisha. And some people actually think that maybe Jonah came from the sons of prophets, that he was under the faithfulness of some of these men. And if he was or wasn't, one of the things to recognize is he still comes 
from that generation. And I guess the point I'm saying in all of this is saying that Jonah comes from some type of faithful history. When you hear Jonah in verse 1, Jonah is not new to God. Jonah has been around God and has been faithful to God. But even though Jonah has been faithful in the past, it doesn't necessarily mean Jonah is faithful in the present. Whether this is reality or not for Jonah, this is reality for people of faith. That at times, we like to hold on to our obedience in the past and not see our disobedience in the present. You know, I I was a kid that grew up in church. uh, And I grew up around uh, older Christians. And I would always sit and I would listen on Sunday mornings how they would be like, oh, you know, before you were born, ooh, brother or sister so-so, I was there back in the day when brother or sister so-and-so was there. And I love when Christians reminisce about the past of it. But sometimes we also need to ask ourselves, not just how we've been obedient in the past, but also how are we being obedient to God in the present? Have you ever found yourself in a situation like maybe you like did a white lie or something and you were just like, ooh, yeah, definitely missed the mark on that one. Uh, but you know, last week, last week I paid for that person's groceries. I feel a little bit better because of that. Sometimes we lean into the past so much that we cannot see what's happening in the present. Maybe a question to check yourself with is to just ask, when I'm asked questions about my faith, Do I answer in the past tense or do I answer in the present tense? Am I captivated by how I have lived for God in the past or am I also asking how I live for God in the present? Second way that we may not see repentance in our lives is we do not see our inconsistencies. We do not see our inconsistencies. In Jonah 1, uh, 2, and 3, Go to the city of Nineveh and preach against it because of its wickedness that has come up before me. But Jonah, man, he ran away from the Lord and he headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship and he bound for that port. The beginning of Jonah is just trying over and over again to tell you how inconsistent Jonah really is. In just a couple of verses... God literally says, I want you to go to the big city. And Jonah says, I'm going to go to the smallest city I can find. God says, I want you to travel by land to the place of Nineveh. Jonah goes, I'm going to go travel by a boat. And I'm going to get far away from Nineveh. God says, rise up. Jonah says, I'm going to go down. He is a contradiction in every single way. Now his reaction though, is understandable when he hears of the people of Nineveh. Nineveh was a great city, but it was a great city filled of not so great things. And as a believer in Yahweh and God, Jonah wouldn't have been a fan at all of Nineveh. People have highlighted this over and over again. When I tried to think of how do I describe the feeling of Nineveh, 
uh, I thought simply of this. Uh, Nineveh is kind of like uh, Eagles fans. Okay? You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Uh, I, I have not, I heard an amen. Okay, we'll work that out later. Um, I, I had not heard very much about uh, the Eagles, okay, until the Super Bowl. If, if you didn't know, there was a Super Bowl, okay? They were in it. They were there. They were present. They lost. Um, when the Super Bowl was coming up, people kept talking about how awful Eagle fans were. And I felt like this was just kind of unfair. I'd never heard of this before. So I did some research. Uh, and I must agree, it is very, very sketchy, the Eagles fans and their connotation. I just researched just a couple of things to just say, Eagles fans are ruthless. Here's a couple of examples. Uh, it is very hard to get a Santa to actually show up to Eagles Stadium because they always get pelted with snowballs. There was one year that someone dressed up as a mascot and the fans actually broke that person's leg because they were so upset at them. The Eagles had a season where they actually disrespected a player who had a career-ending injury on the field. It used to be tradition that Eagles fans would throw batteries at the quarterback if he was doing a bad job. They would burn the jerseys of their own players if they were not satisfied with him. These people were known for beating up horses at games that police officers would actually be riding through the streets. And even once there was this weird trend that like Eagles fans would actually like throw up on children of the opposing teams. I mean, just stuff that you're just like, why are you the way you are? You know? The city of Nineveh was not known as the city of brotherly love either. I know it's a stretch, but stay with me. <laughs> I'm hearing it just now. There was torture. There was dismembering. They were awful to the people who they conquered in the land. They would taunt people who were dying. They were known throughout the region of being the terrorists state. And if there was any group that you would consider a bad group of people, it would be the people of Nineveh. And Jonah knows that. But God will not play the game that there are good people and there are bad people in the world. That's not God's game. God recognizes all people are made in God's image and all possess the goodness of God in them. And Jonah can't see that. And it's ironic, this story is literally supposed to be about Jonah going and converting Nineveh. It quickly moves to how Jonah is actually being converted to God. One of the ways that we ignore repentance is when we do not see our inconsistencies. Maybe a great check for you is simply this. If I were to ask you to name your hangups, can you name them as fast for your life as you can for other people? If I would be like, hey, tell me a hangup about her, you'd be like, oh my goodness, one, two, three, four, five. Okay. If I were to ask you your hangups, can you go, oh man, one, two, three, four, five? The third is this we do not seek the presence of God. 
that Jonah has this outlandish idea. After paying the fare, he went aboard and he sailed to Tarshish to flee from the presence of God. I want that phrase to sink in for you for a second. The God who is everywhere. Jonah is trying to go somewhere away from him. Impossible. Impossible to run from the presence of God. Now, one of the things that's missing here that's different from most Old Testament stories is Jonah's just gone. He's just silent. This is very different than other stories. Jonah just leaves God hanging. There's no engagement. Usually in the Old Testament, when God says, hey, like, I got a word, we got to bring it, usually people, people are like, oh, Lord, no, mm-mm, not me, not me, don't, mm, nope, not me. Jonah's just gone. All right, he doesn't even engage with the presence of God. Maybe one way to think of it is this. Um, I, did a, uh, I did a wedding uh, two weeks ago. Lovely couple, lovely couple. You should meet them. Uh, I did this wedding, and uh, there was a moment in the ceremony where uh, you know, the, the bride is coming down the aisle, uh, and everyone has that tender moment. They're like, oh, yes, this is it right here. You know, we're all, we're all emotional. He's emotional. I'm emotional. Everyone's emotional. And, you know, I open my Bible as they're walking down, and I, I check my notes really quick. And uh, as you know, the next part of the ceremony is to say, you know, uh, who gives this bride? And I look up, and I just see the bride. There's no father. And I, where's the father? And I look over here, and the father is already moved to the front row. I'm like, well, I'll, I'll just ask him here. So I, I just ask him. I go, uh, um, who gives who gives this bride? And you could tell the father was, oh man, that was my turn. So he stands up and he go, he goes, mm, um, my mother and I do. And the best part was, I was so caught off guard that I actually look at his mom, the grandmother of the bride, and she goes, well, I do. I do give her away too. <laughs> One commentator has said that this moment with Jonah is like dead silence in the middle of a wedding. God is wanting to partner with Jonah, and Jonah's nowhere to be found. God asks Jonah, Will you respond? Will you say, I will to my call? And Jonah's nowhere to be found. He's silent. Do you know what it's like to go silent on God? To not spend time with God in God's presence? To not dialogue with God about how your life is going and what God wants for your life? You know, for some of us, this is, this is a hard switch for us because when, when we were taught faith, we were taught, you know, Believing in God is believing certain things about God. And that's true. And, and believing in God means doing certain things for God. And that's true. But also, believing in God is spending time with God. Just uninterrupted time dialoguing with God. For some of us, we treat God like He's a long-distance grandparent. We show up on the holidays, and whenever we're in trouble or needing some money, we go and talk to them. 
You know, there are ways, absolutely, amen, there are ways that you can be legalistic about attending church or reading your Bible or any of those things. And people have been manipulative in the past with it. But there's undeniably a correlation between, between strengthening your faith and spending time doing the things of faith. Sometimes if we're going to drift away from God, sometimes it just starts with drifting away from the things of God. We don't mean to start moving towards unfaithfulness. We just kind of do because we let Saturday night go too late or we've had a full day at work and we just don't feel like going to small group or we got bored the last time we went to church so we're not going to do it again. And if you find yourself in this place of if I ask you, what do you need to repent of? And you're like, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe starting before the presence of God is the best place to go. And then fourth and finally, is we do not see our distrust in God. When you see this phrase here, flee from the presence of God, this is an echo of the Bible, okay? This is an original. This is happening over and over again. This goes all the way back to Genesis, right? When Adam and Eve eat from the tree that they're not supposed to. The scripture literally says, Adam and Eve, they hid from the presence of God. It says when Eve saw the fruit, she thought it looked good and it was desirable and she thought it would bring her wisdom. The question all over again. It's happening since the beginning of pages of the Bible and it's happening in your life. Is will you trust God's instruction over your instinct? Even if you may think what I'm doing looks good or desirable or maybe wise, is it in line with what God is saying or is it not? The question over and over again is will you trust God? God, are you going to trust your own instinct? You know, I'm mindful of this for us individually. You know, some of us are living ways of life that they don't line up with God's way of life. We just think it's the best way to live our life. So we manage our budget the way that we want to manage our budget. Instead of managing it in a way that is stewarding what God is giving us. How we go about our sexual energies that we have in life how we steward our bodies. We're just deciding how we want to do it instead of the way that the church has said for 2,000 years, these are the healthy ways to steward that energy. When it comes to addiction, we just say, I'm going to handle it the way I want to handle it instead of bringing it out to the light in the ways that God wants us to handle it. Do we trust God in God's ways? Or do we trust our own ways? I'm mindful of this for us individually, but I'm also mindful of this for us communally. And we've had a long history of trusting God. I sat for 14 months and <laughs> listened to the history of this church and how faithful we've been. And we believe that God has spoken. This next vision process is our opportunity to say, are we going to trust what God has placed on our hearts? Or are we simply going to run away like Jonah? All of us have a question to ask ourselves. Are we going to stay in it? 
Are we going to trust what God has for us, promises-wise? And what's really hard is when God speaks into our life, it disrupts the status quo. And tr- I'm all about status quo. I love status quo because status quo keeps Zane safe. <laughs> but we can't stay in status quo. We can't stay in status quo because we live in Nineveh. There are people who do not know God's ways. And we need to trust that God is going to work through us to speak to people and to turn people to Him. And this is why we come to the table every single week, because all four of these things we feel the weight of all the time, right? But there, there are ways that you trust your own instincts more than you do the ways of God. We all miss time where we could have spent time in the presence of God. All of us tend to live in the past in some ways of our obedience more than we do the presence. And every single week, we feel the weight of one of those things. We come to the table of communion. The table is where we turn ourselves away from our ways and back to the ways of God. I want to finish with just this last verse here. Did you notice that there's this phrase? I love this phrase. This is the grace of the whole passage. It says, Jonah, after paying the fare, he went aboard and he sailed to Tarshish. I want you to think about this. This is the prophet of God. When he's handing that money, he's handing the very thing God has given to him. In other words, God is helping Jonah even when Jonah isn't helping God. That's the grace of God. God is sustaining you right now. He is working in your life right now, even if you are working against Him. Amen, somebody. And when you take that bread, and when you take that cup, and you take the elements, you are saying, Jesus, I trust your body. Jesus, I trust your blood that your power, your resurrection can turn me away from my ways and towards your ways. Communion is the place where you physically say, I'm turning back to the Lord because God has paid the price for you. God has paid the price for you in Jesus Christ. The things that hold you back, that weigh on you, Jesus has defeated. You can turn from those things by the power of His name. So in a moment, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, I'm going to invite you. There's three tables in the back. There's two tables at the front to come up and actually take of the body and the blood of Jesus. You can take of these elements And after this, we're just going to have an extended time of just singing. I want to encourage you, there's going to be a couple people that are in the back doors that are actually going to be available just for prayer. Okay, So you can take of the elements, you can come back to your seat. Also, I'd encourage you to just go and pray with people, right? Like we talked about this a couple months ago. There is no negative connotation to going and receiving prayer. Everyone should receive prayer. Prayer And maybe one of the questions, if you're just like, I, just, I, I don't know what to really ask for prayer for, just simply ask this prayer today. Ask for one of the people in the back, just say, 
Pray for me, for me to see where I'm not trusting God right now. Ask the Spirit to reveal to you where you're not trusting God right now. So Lord, uh, we, we come to you as people who, uh, we have just short memory, short, short memory of the goodness and the life that you tell us that is available to us. God, we, we confess and we repent of the ways that we, we've kind of taken life on our own. We thought we could navigate life better than the ways that you instruct, and God, we're, we're sorry for that. God, for those of us who are heavy in the room today, who were either burdened by something or held down by the weight of sin or the state of the world today, Lord, through your communion, can you remind us that you will return, that we are going to be in union with you again one day face to face. Lord, help us to see what we cannot see. We know we can do this through your body and your blood. So we receive it. In Jesus' name, amen.